You're listening to the Gate of Trust podcast. Join hosts Matt Rush and Felix Friedberg's heart-to-heart conversations with artists, entrepreneurs, scholars, and laymen who, by strengthening their trust in God despite all odds, experience outright miracles. Trusting in God can literally save lives. And now, Gate of Trust podcast hosts Matt and Felix. You're listening to the Gate of Trust podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Felix. Welcome Welcome to to the the show. show. You know, Felix... I used to worry way too much. Me too, Matt. I thought thou shalt worry was one of the Ten Commandments. It's not? You know, there's a joke about the guy who sends his friend a telegram. Start worrying. Details to come. Of course, everyone knows the one about the three bubbies sitting on a park bench. The first bubby sighs, oi. The second, ve. The third, zmir. The first bubby remarks, I thought we weren't going to talk about our kids today. Jokes aside, worrying is not the Jewish way. It's not good for my health, not good for my sanity. Yeah, but with so much happening in the world, from global pandemic, hyperinflation, war in Ukraine, not to mention scary things in the news and real-life financial challenges, health, you name it, there's a lot to worry about. And yet, the Rebbe advised on countless occasions that people read the gate of trust in order to cure their worries and actually as a vessel for drawing down God's blessings. Felix, you're not going to believe today's gate of trust podcast interview. Yael and I spoke with Getsy and Elisa Felig. You know the sponsors of the Felig edition? Mm-hmm. These two Feligs are a powerhouse. After struggling with family, health, and financial challenges, Getsy and Aliza started doing something amazing and inspiring. They started learning a few lines of the gate of trust every single day with their morning coffee before their kids would wake up. And aside from bringing their marriage closer and improving their finances, learning the gate of trust daily also strengthened their trust in God So much so that their trust muscles were ready when they needed to deal with a life and death situation. Wow, that sounds amazing. I can't wait to hear it. By the way, Matt, after the interview, we're going to give some prizes away to our listeners. First, we've got an exclusive 25% off promo code that you can use on Kahoot.com to get the Gates of Trust book. And anyone who subscribes today on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaves a rating will be entered into a raffle to win a free Gate of Trust book. Wow, sounds great, Matt. Let's meet the Felix. You got it, Felix. Here are the inspiring Getsy and Aliza Felig. Getsy and Aliza Felig, welcome to the Gate of Trust podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. My wife, Yael, is joining me. Yael is the host of the super successful Jewish Money Matters podcast and creator of the God Wants You to Be Rich program. So guys, if you want to be rich, this is the, the lady to talk to. <laughs> And Getsy, we probably met 15 or 16 years ago, and we kind of seen each other here and there, but been out of touch more or less, until once I fell in love with the Gate of Trust, I heard your name and I saw the Felic Edition, which you and Lisa have so generously sponsored. So you were at the top of our list to speak with about the Gate of Trust. And so I know you're super successful in real estate, development and asset management, but you're not here alone. Your wife, Lisa, is sitting here with you. And as they say, behind every great man is a surprise mother-in-law. <laughs> thought I was a greater woman. There's a surprise um, mother-in-law in this case. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I have one too. Yeah. <laughs> tell us your story. How did you stumble upon the gate of trust? How has it changed your life? You know, tell us sort of how the Felic Edition was born. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you from uh, where, when it started. Let's start with that. How did we get introduced to Fibus and Babais, which is what the book is based on, of course, and what it is, translation of, and then I'll go from there. So my wife and I are married for almost 18 years, thank God. 
And we were very quick to get our life started. And about a little less than a year after we got married, or rather, we had our first child. And our son, Yassi, which is our oldest, was diagnosed with cerebral palsy right before his first birthday. And as any parent, obviously, was a parents, it was very difficult for us. And we were trying to you know, find solutions, not just for the medical, but also for the personal, for the emotional, etc. And of course, as Chabad followers, the first place we went was the the oil. I mean, try to get some guidance, some clarity, some ideas. And we went to the oil and we wrote into to a letter into the, the Igris, which is the Rebbe's letters that are published, looking for some ideas and guidance and dealing with a very difficult part of our lives. First major challenge as a young couple. And the first letter we received talked about various encouraging topics. But one of them, and the main theme was, why are we down? We need to have trust. And if you don't have it, you need to go learn Chayvus Alvavis. And I never heard of Chayvus Alvavis prior to that, never understand nothing. I just no clue what that was. And I think I may have entirely ignored the piece of advice. It was not there. Just surprising as I've learned so much about what the Rebbe's position on it was from that 16 years ago till today. So got another letter a little bit later along the same theme. Our life was turned upside down. At least it seemingly was then this entire, you know, this huge change of of direction and, and kind of what we imagined what life would look like to what it was shaping out to be. And again, we got more letters from from whether it was from the Igris or from, from other things that we were starting to kind of engage in about learn Chayvis Alvavis, learn Chayvis Alvavis. So I, I, at some point, and I, I remember it being Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur time, I was inspired and I went to a Jewish bookstore and I bought the little Feldheim pocket edition. And I think that Yom Kippur, as I remember it, I, maybe in between davenings, I was reading it in English and that's kind of where I got introduced to Chayvus Alvavis. And it was in and out of my life on the bookshelf. When things were more difficult, I would take it back out. When less difficult, I would you know, forget about it. But it wasn't something that I was necessarily engaged in daily, but it kept on coming up. Whenever I went to the aisle, whenever I had a question, whenever something was needing help, it showed up. Chayvus Alvavis, why aren't you learning it? Betachen, betachen, betachen. And that was my initial introduction to it. And I think the turning point for me personally, when it really resonated with me, as I can remember it, and I'm for sure missing a bunch of details. Hopefully my wife is going to fill, fill me in, fill it in, is we were living in Atlanta and I was stuck between a rock and a hard place as to whether we should stay in Atlanta or leave Atlanta and come move to Coconut Grove. And I had a dream about the Rebbe and I never had a dream about the Rebbe in my life. It was the first time. Wow. And it was a super interesting dream and I'll save those details for another podcast. But the Rebbe sat that we didn't sat, sit down with me, but we had a discussion and what he told me was, and as a, I was telling the Rebbe how I, I have so many issues in my life and I don't know if I should move, I shouldn't move with my son and I because I was my first time talking to the Rebbe in my life, one-on-one. And the Rebbe looked to me and smiled and he said, B'tachen b'simcha. And he walked away. And wow. that was like a, I, like, I remember waking up and that I think was where B'tachen and started taking everyday place in our lives and kind of evolved from there to where it is today. But that's, that was my, that's my uh, recollection. Of that. Yeah, I have the same recollection. I caught up with him with B'tachen in that, I had an illusion about myself that I had trust in God, you know, like it wasn't even a conversation like God, of course, I believe in God. Like, I didn't think it was something I needed to work on or anything. There was no, it didn't feel like to me at the time that this was a conversation I needed to have. And then Getsy introduced 
Shari Bitafen into our lives every morning, um, snippets at a time. And the concept started resonating with me in a way that literally blew open my mind and my soul <laughs> in a way that previously I had, I would say, like a very elementary understanding of God and also an esoteric understanding of God where I didn't really understand that Hashem was inside of me and all the things that we learn in Chavis al And it, it's so in line. I'm very interested in therapy and self-help. And it, it was so in line with like attachment wounds. Shara Bittopin talks about the stages of a child's, the levels of a child coming into trusting into God. That first they have to trust their mother's their mother's milk and then they trust their father and then they trust themselves and then they trust their work and then they trust God. Those stages were very much parallel to things that I care about and I'm very interested in. And I was like, it's all Hashem. This is all Hashem. This is all stages to build our relationship with God. And also what was, what, what drove my passion towards Sharabi Tuffin is I was like, where was this in my childhood? Where were these messages in my upbringing? Where was, where was this in the schools? Like I know, know this analogy. We're protecting a palace. We're protecting the palace. And then all of a sudden we get very caught up in the rules of protecting the palace, but what's in the palace? What's, what's going on here? What are we doing all this for? And so much of that alignment happened and really drove my personal passion towards Sharabi Tuffin. And I really was able to look back and realize when I casually had confidence that I trusted God, I had no idea what I was saying. What's so beautiful, amazing about Tyra in general is that, you know, in Chadash Tachas Hashemesh, everything we learn in the world and when we can find it in Tyra or some people are lucky enough to learn it in Tyra, but we can go out into the world. The world, everything is Hashem's world, right? So when we have an interest and then we can find it in Tyra and in godliness, that's, I think, also very revolutionary to what Mashiach is. Like, it's seeing God everywhere, in everything, in every part of our being, in our darkness, in our light, in our in our dysfunction, in every single facet of who we are as humans here in this world, we can find God. And so, I mean, I'm getting carried away here, but like, this is where my mind goes with all of this is I feel like so much, especially as Yudin, we want to see ourselves as really good people. And so we have a tendency to avoid the parts of ourselves that are not very pretty. Right. And when we learn Shara B'Tuf and like we discover them, it's all, it's all God. Even our darkness is a catalyst to light. I mean, that's also with Hasidus. It's, it's really the Rebbe's understanding of all these things that bring us to those places. But um, I would say that if we don't know who we're serving and that we're part of it, that we're part of that story, then how are we maintaining our, our Judaism? You know what I'm saying? Like when it becomes about rules and feels like this is the, the baseline. This is the baseline. God. We okay. are part of God. Right. Who are we having a relationship with? Yes. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but relate to so much of their story. For us, I know it was 2008 and we're living in Shanghai and there's this recession happening and all of a sudden something that had never been an issue in our ma- I mean, not that we, we hadn't been married that long, but money had never become been an issue. And all of a sudden it started becoming like this sticking point between us. And I kept seeing what was the Rebbe saying to people who came to him with financial struggles and financial stress. And again, this same topic over and over again, go learn Shara And finally, I said to my husband, we're living in China, like, what is that? Like, maybe we should look into this, right? But 
back then there was this translation and I sort of got into it, but like you said, Getsia, you know, I, I would go to it, I would come back. Like it wasn't such an easy translation, at least for me to navigate. And my Hebrew was not that great. And so like, you know, it was something that I really felt like there was something there. But as we, the years progressed and we came into America and we had our other more challenges and more, more children and, you know, more business things that were going on. It kept going back to it until finally I was talking to some friends and I realized that Chayena started publishing, you know, started dripping it every, and I was, I got so into it that finally I called Chayena and they sent me like this initial draft of what became later your edition, your gorgeous edition that we all love. And I started teaching it as a way to like learning for myself. And I think that's when you kind of like jump on board, right? Because I was so excited about this. It's so funny that I saw these Rebbe videos when he would, he would suggest to people to read Shabbatah and I said, oh, you have to be a really big businessman to get, to read that, I guess. You know, like, you, you know, this, this businessman who represents we must be a really big businessman. So I figured, okay, someday I'll read it, you know. And, and then I got a hold of, of uh, the Chayim's version. She started, she was really into it. She made like a betachon boost. And well, she was that like, was much, that was But she was like so but, yeah. into it. And like, again, I saw this book. I was like, what is she reading? What is she so excited about? And I was like, and I would tell my wife, yeah, trust is very important. You know, we, she would give speeches and she talked about trust. I'm like, it trust, in God, trust. But I had never read the book. And then finally, I'm sitting in a boardroom in L.A., and in the boardroom, there's like three or four copies of this book. I was like, well, this is, you know, here I'm in a boardroom, and they've got the Yishar Batafa. So I started reading. I was like, oh, this is pretty good. So when I got home, I finally took my, my wife's book, you know, your beautiful book, your beautiful white book. I started reading it. And I have to admit, my wife has all kinds of books. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Self-help but, books. <laughs> but this one, this finally, like, I read it. I was like, completely transformed. Like, immediately, was like, wow. Like, what did I read? I just read it again and again. I was like, oh, my gosh. How do I get more people to know this? I have to make... I have to make audios. I have to make videos. Let's make a podcast. Let's do, what can I do? Because this is like transformed my life. I was like, I guess a normal person thinking that like the world worked in a normal way. Right. And maybe it does for the rest of the world, but for Jewish people, we have God and we have really, you know, we don't have to operate on the normal level. We have nothing to worry about. And now we can just start living. You know what? Um, I have this, this is what just came up for me when you were talking. I, while we were like in, in this passion that you're describing about Sharabi Tuffin, which I so relate to. And one day we were, I was laying in bed and I was calling to Alexa to like turn on something, to turn something on. And I was like, Alexa, the, and she wasn't like listening to me. And I said to Getsy, wait, I said, the world is this relationship with God. Like it's a, it's natural order. Me and God, we're, I'm like in the back. I don't have to say it perfectly. And he hears me and he knows what I want. Cause I'm a yid. Point about the illusion, right? Just, just to bring that out for listeners. Like we can go through life having this illusion. And I always tell my students like, but I was a woman of faith. What do you mean? Like, of course I trust. Like, what do you mean? I keep Shabbos and I keep kosher. And I like, I do all the things. I just hadn't internalized that it's a very different thing. Trust is something that we work on and we develop. And it's an emotional state that then we emulate with our actions. So it's another level. Matt, to kick things off, we have some giveaways for our listeners. First, Code.com is giving a 25% discount on the Gate of Trust book when you enter the promo code TRUST. How much did you say that promo code gives you? 25%, Matt. Can you get a discount like that anywhere else? No, this is the only place on the Gate of Trust podcast. That sounds exclusive. Gate of Trust podcast is exclusive. And anyone who subscribes today on Apple Podcasts and leaves a rating will be entered in a raffle to win a free Gate of Trust book, the Felig Edition. 
we've established our passion for the topic and how we got there. I'd love for us to segue into some of the consequences and the results that then you've started to see in your own life, because I think that's very helpful for listeners. So I would say that you know, a little bit after that dream, as, as I said, is when I really got slammed with this concept that Betachen is certainly something that I'm going to uh, uh, implement in my life. We started, and I think this is really where my passion lies in it, is we started learning it together mm-hmm. every morning. Now it's going on for probably seven years, maybe more. And what we would do is we would we, we wake up every morning, you know, before the kids wake up with a cup of coffee and the safer. And it's 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 evolved. We, we have other you know, books we, we read now as well. But what was <laughs> powerful about it is that it's interesting to look when the Rebbe introduces Chayvis Havavas, he introduces it in a lot of those letters, which, by the way, were not sent to professors in, in, in Harvard. They were sent to some of the Spitz Chabad, as they call it, or the, you know, the, the people today who have been there from day one. These are the holies of holies. They, they're matriarchs and patriarchs of huge Chabad families. The first shluchim to X, Y, and Z. And this is who the Rebbe was sending these letters to, some of them. In 50, 51, 52, right after the Holocaust. And the Rebbe's talking about it as a foundational piece, like he did with all of his, his work that he laid out over the course of his lifetime. He laid it out then in the, in the 50s. He said what he would do. He said, you know, some, if, you, if you really learn in depth the first mimer he said and the first vibranium he gave as a Rebbe, he laid it all out. So I absolutely believe that the, the Rebbe wanted Chavis Ovavis to fundamentally be introduced as a foundational part of Jewish learning, religious learning, and Hasidic learning. Why it took so many years for it to be published and for there to be Chabad commentary on the topic, I don't know. I mean, there's a whole story about the printing that Kahas was was actually going to do it at one point, and it got stalled. I, I really don't know why that there was a disconnect, and I guess it's all it's, it's all God uh, God knew the timing. The real time that it took off, it, it was it, it, so we we didn't start the project with Chayin. It was actually started by a family in Toronto. I believe the name is I might be pronouncing it incorrectly, but I think it's Glowinski. I'm not mistaken. Who started the project originally with Chayin to start putting it in, in a serial format in, in the in the in the weekly publication. But COVID is when the book was already in the works. And that couldn't have been a better time in the planet to have this readily available in PDF form that you're referring to. It, was, it wasn't even printed yet. And right. that's when the, the Gates of Trust website was launched as an immediate you know, emergency effort. But going back to, to, to how it starts, so learning it every morning together and, and understanding that it's a foundational, fundamental piece of Yiddishkeit and being a religious person who was brought up from birth, father's Chabad rabbi, has always been involved in Chabad life, understanding and starting to look at this, that this is like as fundamental as Shabbos. And may I be so bold as to stay under no one's jurisdiction but my own, that may before you can keep Shabbos properly to understand that if, wow, I can rely and have trust on the Almighty, how much more so do I want to give him that day and show him that this is your day. I want in on this program because of all that you give me on a day-to-day basis. So having the understanding that it was fundamental and foundational, then using it as a as a way for my wife and I to connect as a couple. And then when you wake up at five o'clock in the morning, before your children wake up, before your text messages start blaring. And if you can train yourself to not look at your phone, to see all the emails you got from China overnight or whatever other market you might be involved in, and you start your day in that darkness with that cup of coffee and there's nobody around, and you start it with learning a topic as a trust in God and, the, and, and how there's nothing that can happen to you 
that is not in Hashem's control. And just to boost yourself with that in the morning, I mean, it just changes your day. And the kids feel it. And you feel it as a couple. And then inevitably, when that challenge shows up in your life, in your day, or in your spouse's day, we find that, call my wife and say, I just had this crazy situation. So funny because it reminded me of what we read this morning about how, you know, no, there's no person that can harm or, or benefit it. And, and, you know, or, or, or don't be so excited to make money because uh, it might be for your, your wife's next husband or something. There's, there's such great humor in the book also. It did, you know, he had such incredible humor, but, but, and it's so yeah. incredible how, how, how it, it turns into this, this tremendous corner block cornerstone. So, I would say that was the first thing that we implemented in our lives and that has had an unbelievable impact in my personal life. And I think I speak on for both of us in our relationship as a couple and certainly as parents, uh, you know, et cetera. So that's what I would say was the first impact and, and, and step we took with it. That's really amazing. Yeah, Ellen and I, I guess, have both been excited in doing things with the gate of trust since we exploded with the excitement for it. But I don't think we talk about it over the dinner table a little bit, but we haven't really we went, incorporated it into something that we do every day. We went through a period where we sat down, and I remember, in the kitchen table. Did you forget? Where we sat down and we would learn it. But it fizzled out. Maybe this is for inspiration. Sure. We, to used to have, we used to have a beautiful custom of like having tea every night. So maybe we'll start, you know, shabadakam with tea. May I may I suggest one thing? And whoever I give this over to, I don't do more than one page, not both pages, not a, just a snippet. I mean, a paragraph, a commentary or two, and then fold it, and then don't take it out to the next morning. That's, I mean, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a one time. One bite at a time. <laughs> Gave a very good example of how when you're in, in the middle of a stressful situation at work and you thought of this one or two or three things, which bring you back to what my wife and I call the zone. Right when you're in the zone and you're like back, you're you know back in the trust zone, right? So what, you gave me one example. What is another example? Like when you sort of sort of snap out of it and you're like some in some business stress or some other kind of stress. What is the the first thing that, that helps you sort of get back in the zone? And and how about uh, Alisa? What about you? So I actually was interviewed on another podcast about a story I had with a, my my latest baby. Where I'm going to give you a very short portion of it. So. I'm not in the financial world. So this is my detachment is very much about my anxieties as it relates to my children and my own life. So my story was that my baby, I had a home birth and for many reasons that are very, the woman who was delivering me did not check me. I was already finished at the finish line of delivering my baby when she came into the room and she was a footling breach which was a surprise. I and mean, you're not allowed to deliver a footling breach. That means that her feet came out first and she had a head entrapment. And there was a portion of time where we were unsure of what was going to happen. And I was faced with, I was very, very present to the birth because of a lot of inner work that I had done as a person. And I, I looked down and I remember saying, oh my God, I heard her telling Getsy to call the 911 I knew I was in a dangerous situation. I knew that half my baby's body was out. And I knew that this is my seventh child. And I've never had a baby come out with just feet. And I looked down and I said, oh, my God, this is the moment. I, I And she's my midwife yeah. said, Aliza, I need you to push. And I, like she was firm. And I said, one minute. I said it out loud. And I, I looked at God in the face, in my heart, in my soul. And I said, oh, my God, I'm supposed to derail now. No, whatever this is, I'm safe. 
I'm safe. I'm safe. And she came out and she's healthy. Wow. And so that was a very real moment of not just, it was life and death where I was, I, all this work that I had done with my Beethoven was, and also to know, that's another thing I want to say is that I, I keep on hearing like, no matter what happens, but actually we're active members of what happens. Hashem is in, mm-hmm. like Hashem is, not outside of us. Hashem is inside of us. And then that zone, that state of being, of suspending our faculties and the norm and whatever is a choice in, a mo- in the moment itself. Every moment, all day, every day. It's not something you reach and stay, we reach and stay in. It's not something, but it's an actual choice in a moment of chaos. It's flying around us. And then we're like, no, I'm safe. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. I know this is so much easier said than done. I'm not discounting that at all. It speaks to the importance of what you guys described earlier to continuous work, right? Because because you've been working on it on consistently on a regular basis, you were able, it's like S search engine optimization, right? It's like you were able to, instead of going to the dark place at that such a challenging moment, your brain was able to go to that place of trust and immediately to that feeling, right? But we have to actively work on it. It's not going to just come if all we've practiced is this habituation of worry all of our lives, right? And by the way, society tells you, Matt, to your point, when you're in the boardroom and you get that email of uh, challenging news, you're supposed to get extremely concerned and your whole business is going to burn to the ground, God forbid, right? Right. Or when you're dealing with an issue like Eliza's saying, society says, freak the hell out. Like that's the way of the world. That's what, you know. It's, 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 it's removing our victim mentality. To me, it's a very deep place of saying, I'm not a victim of any circumstance ever. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a bold thing to say, but it's like enough, you know, we're not victims. We are powerful. We're, we're, we're with Hashem. Hashem is our partnership and Hashem wants us to show up to this moment in his reality not in the reality that we're being fed of fear mongering and panic and scare and, and challenges. And they're there. I'm not, God forbid, discounting that they're there, but these are, these are muscles that we have within us to build. Yeah. And I think that was what the Rebbe wanted us to understand. Like it almost, when you read all the letters, you feel almost the frustration, like, why are you not getting this? Like you, you really are capable of so much more. You have this tool. There's, there's another reality, right? Just and, to- and also, also, I feel like a very missed message of the Rebbe, along with many, as we start to understand the Rebbe's revolution, is Gula is inside of you. The Rebbe, I saw a video where the Rebbe is, t- the, a woman is crying. It was this Chafetz Nisan. A woman's sobbing to the Rebbe. And she's like, I need Mashiach. I need Mashiach. And he looks at her straight in the eye and he says, you need to want it. And you need to want it. And he goes down the, he t- starts going down the whole line of people waiting. And he's like asking like me, you, it's in your power. It's in every single one of your powers. But you know what? The beauty and the sadness at the same time of today is that I don't think anybody's comfortable anymore. Everybody's getting knocked around some way or another that they're, we're being forced to show up to this or not, or we're living in a very miserable reality of, of victimhood. And the Reverend made it clear. I mean, from what I've seen, that we need to study it multiple times. There was one letter I'm thinking of, and he said that 
And I obviously don't mean learn it once, learn it two or three times. And I think over the Rebbe meant to internalize it, to really internalize it. Yeah, and then it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing battle. And that, you know, it, it, it's, so I, I would almost match back to your original question about whether, how do you get into zone? Well, what's the zone? I, I, I don't think it's a zone. I think it's, it's literally something, they call it Avedas Hashem, the work of, uh, of Hashem. That's what we're here to do. We're here to sit and the whole world says X and we're like, absolutely not. The truth right. is Y. And, and, and that's what, and, and the safer itself, the reason why I think it's so appealing is if, if, if there was a modernization beyond this book and they took the word chariot out and replaced it with car and took the word ascetic and replaced it with like a monk, you know, there's a couple of words they would just, you know, it's written so to the core human experience. And I, and I think that, that that's what makes it so usable is that you're not learning, you know, there's some beautiful chassidus, amazing chassidus from the Rebbe about betachem. There's a great sicha in Chelek Lamed Ches, I think, Parshas Shemais, about how Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have enough betachem when he, when he, when he hit the, 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 the Egyptian slave. And it's unbelievable stuff. And the Rebbe, because only the Rebbe can do this, is pointing out how Moshe Rabbeinu could have done better in betachem. I mean, it's like wild stuff, if I understood it correctly, which I think I kind of did. My point is, Chayvus Lavavis is not written that way. It's written about, oh, you want to make money. You want to have nice things. You want everything to go well. You, you, you can't see why it's working out in your life. You're not Moses. You just lost that job. You just lost that girlfriend. You just lost that thing. It's all great. And I think that is what it's about. And when you get into Chayvus Lavavis, unlike those other areas where Betachin is discussed, it's just baseline, human experience, and that is where you really, really find Hashem. Not in breaking down the, the, the inner meaning of Maishu Rabbeinu's approach to something. That's unbelievable also. But it's here where when you wake up Friday morning, when you wake up Monday morning, and you don't know where you're going to you know, find your money to pay a bill, or how you're going to overcome a medical challenge, or God forbid, whatever challenge a person is facing, and you stop and you say, I trust in Hashem, and not only is it going to work out, but this is not even a bad thing. I just, I, I don't see it, and it's it's higher than my eyes, and I'm still going to do everything I can, but I'm going to get through this day. And I think that's what, what's so revolutionary about this book, and why a thousand years later, we're, we're talking about it. After we started learning the book every day, every morning, and really started incorporating it, and started learning Chayenu also every morning, and we started to notice two things, that in the English translation of Tanya, and in the English translation of Chayvus Alvavis, first it became about the epistles. I loved learning about the epistles in Tanya, because I don't know what an epistle is, and I was not going to Google, Google it, even though maybe I should know what it is, but I was like, that's it. The Chayenu is supposed to be available, English translation for everybody, and I don't know what this epistle is. So it became like a joke, but then we realized that we really wanted a more modern translation. Feldheim was amazing, and I can say it firsthand, because it was there for me in my life as the English translation, but it was missing and we basically decided that we wanted to make a book. Now, my wife and I know nothing about making a book, about sponsoring a book, what these things cost, what they, how they work, or anything of the sort. Around the same time, we went to JLI in Washington for the first time. And a friend of mine who was an author was there. And we had gone to yeshiva, but had not seen each other in many, many years. We were in France together. And we had made up 
to get together the night before he was leaving back with his family to the UK. I was going to meet with him and we were going to schmooze and catch up. My wife and I had an idea that maybe he would be the perfect person to talk to about this project. And maybe we can do it together. We can provide some capital and he can, he can, you know, he can translate it or we didn't even know. Anyways, that night, the guy is nowhere to be seen. I can't find him. I'm calling him on the cell phone, texting, phone's off. And we were, we ended up hanging out with some other friends and we just, the phone call never came. The text never came. We went to bed. The following morning, we're coming out of our room. It's the last day of the program. We get into the elevator and who's in the elevator? Yossi Pels and his wife. And we're there with our baby and they're there with their baby. And both babies were wearing the little, uh, those um, amber necklaces amber necklaces for the teething. So so my wife gets to talk <laughs> to his wife and I know Yossi for, you know, from years prior in Crown Heights. And I mentioned to Yossi, by the way, I love the little thing you're doing in Hyena with this, you know, with the English translation. I've always wanted to do a book. And he's like, you want to do a book? We're doing, we're thinking about a book. We should make a book. Literally elevator pitch as the elevator's going down the thing. He's like, that's crazy. Yeah, we should, we have this family in Toronto that's been helping us. And we were thinking to take it to the next level. And maybe we could do a partnership. I'm like, fantastic. You have my number. You'll call me. I'll call you. We come out of the elevator. The wives say goodbye. I say goodbye to Yossi. He makes a left. Who starts walking right towards me is my friend. He's like, Getsy. Oh, it's great to see you. I'm on the way to the airport. My phone died last night. I couldn't find a charger. It's the weirdest thing. Anyways, wonderful to see you. I'm like, it's great to see you too. He's like, fantastic. And he leaves and I leave and that's the story. So Rusty Pels called me a few days later and <laughs> we began the process of getting involved in this project. And I will say, you know, you guys refer to it as our book. It's absolutely- I wrote it myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's the furthest thing from our, the furthest thing from our book. It's it's a huge honor to have been a part of it, and and it's it's an investment that anybody would have made if they uh, were in that elevator. And obviously, everything's Ashkafa Pratis, so we're we're honored to have been chosen to be a part of it. But it's it, first of all, it was written a thousand years ago, and there's. <laughs> There's a whole team of Chayenu and Kahas and, and the, the family from Toronto. Glowinski. We're behind them before we were. So it's, it's far from our book, but we're glad to take it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes, you guys are amazing. You're really inspiring. What you've told us is that the gate of trust is for everyone and anyone can understand it. Everyone can relate to it. And now it's even more relatable. There's lots of commentary. You all are like living examples of Betachon. And I really hope and pray that we can all have access to this understanding, this gift that Hashem has given us and the Rebbe who told us and pointed us directly where to go in order to have this incredible gift of Betachon and is transformative, at least in our lives and I see in your lives. Open the book and read it from beginning to end a few times and your life literally will be transformed. And as we said, Betachon, trust in God, literally saves lives. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Thank you, Getsy and Lisa, so much. We look forward to hearing more great things and seeing the next edition soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us, guys. I hope you liked today's Gate of Trust podcast, Felix. I sure did. It was really inspiring. Hey, Felix, let's remind our listeners. Code.com is giving a 25% discount on the Gate of Trust book when you enter the promo code TRUST. How much did you say that promo code gives you? 25%, Matt. Can you get a discount like that anywhere else? No, this is the only place on the Gate of Trust podcast. That sounds exclusive. Gate of Trust podcast is exclusive. And anyone who subscribes today on Apple Podcasts and leaves a rating will be entered in a raffle to win a free Gate of Trust book, the Felig edition. You know, Felix, since the interview, my wife took it seriously and has been waking me up every morning, like 5 to 6 a.m. so we can learn a few lines of Gate of Trust daily. I have to admit, I'm a little sleep deprived. But it's worth it. You look a little tired, Matt. Maybe I'll try it with Sandy. She's been complaining I'm sleeping too much. Thank you for listening to the Gate of Trust podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the people you love. To access today's show notes, ask Matt and Felix a question, or suggest the Gate of Trust story to be featured on the show, visit gateoftrust.org forward slash podcast.